Hi, I'm Heather Morrison. On each show, guests share stories from their lives in theater, film, and TV. So grab your tights and tap shoes and meet the geeks in the green room. Our guest on this episode is Conrad Cady, the quintessential theater geek. I knew Conrad would be good for tons of green room stories, and so I asked him to be on the show to share some of them with us. Conrad has performed in community theater productions around the Bay Area for over two decades. He's done musicals, plays, children's theater, comedies, and dramas, often playing the lead. If you think you've missed the boat by waiting until you're an adult to start acting, you're wrong. Conrad started at 28 and kept going. Check out the show notes for links mentioned in the episode, including Conrad's extensive resume. First of all, do you like to be called C. Conrad, Katie, or just go with Conrad? Katie? Conrad is it. What happened was um, throughout my family, all these people have a first initial and then a middle name. So my dad is K. Bingham Katie, and my aunt is Barbara Susan Pettigrew, and she goes by Susie. And my cousin Kendall is Barbara Kendall Pettigrew, and she goes by Kendall. So it's this weird family tradition. So I've never been called Charles or anything. The C is just, it just hangs out in the front of my name. I didn't really have a choice in it. If I named myself, maybe I'd do it differently, but I didn't. <laughs> Well, now that I've gotten your name straight, Conrad, I've always called you Conrad. I just want to officially welcome you to Geeks in the Green Room, a podcast sure. for geeks. I thought of you from the beginning. I'm like, I'd love to have Conrad come on. I think I fit the mold. I did some research. I found an electronic version of your resume online. <laughs> I counted 75 productions between 1993 and 2019. 26 years. That's true. That's yeah, it's absolutely true. Spanning 26 years of theater and other projects, including Fringe of Marin in San Rafael, Broadway West in Fremont, Hill Barn Theater in San Mateo, The Maskers Playhouse in Point Richmond, and Douglas Morrison Theater in Hayward. I yep. know there are others. There are more. And the, the first play, I'm not sure I can say this right, was Banicula. Banicula, absolutely. In 1993. Do you want to talk a little bit about that show? Oh, I would love to. I, I had this weird desire to act. And I don't know where it came from or what it was, but I went out to an audition at the Children's Theater Workshop in Pleasanton, CTW. I didn't realize that that meant it was mostly kids in the cast. So I went to this open call audition. I was in a um, like elementary school auditorium with 50 or so 8 to 10 year old kids. And so this group audition, they said, all right, now everybody get down on the ground and pretend to be your favorite animal. So I got down on my knees and I'm going, moo, moo, <laughs> along with all these kids and some of them are attacking each other like tigers. <laughs> but um, the director and the producers of the show were just so happy that an adult was there because they had several adult parts for this show and they needed an adult. And it was like, oh, you're here, you're an adult, this is great. So uh, I did the show with uh, Terry Amara Bolero and a bunch of other kids in the show, and it was absolutely the most fun experience. And so it prompted me to continue in that vein and keep doing acting. I heard that you started acting in community theater when you were 28. Is that right? Uh, it's probably about right. I about, could calculate right. it. Born in 65, <laughs> that was 94, I think, 28, 29, something like that. How does a youngish man... <laughs> 
who went to Cornell and got a degree in computer science and mathematics get into theater? I had some English classes and I, I'm very nerdy and I liked sciences and I didn't really like English much, except I had an English teacher who taught, he said, all right, we're going to learn the Bible, but we're not going to do this religiously because I'm not very religious and I'm not supposed to teach religiously. I'm going to teach you the cool stuff about the Bible. And he did that and then he said, all right, next we're going to do the cool stuff about Shakespeare. And so we, we read in class some bits of Shakespeare. And for whatever reason, I read that and other kids in the class were going, that's really good. I didn't realize you were so good at that. I was like, oh, interesting. And then that's kind of what kept me going until age 28, 29, where I said, you know what? I really want to try this out. What is your favorite show? What's your favorite? I, actually, when you get together after a show, theater geeks understand that you know you do a show and then you go out afterward, and that's the most fun part. But you always get asked that question. You can't just have one answer. So I've got tons of them. I'll, I'll pull one out. One that I actually really just enjoyed was playing Fagin in Oliver. And uh, the costumer gave me this coat with four or five pockets, and the kids were supposed to take things out of the pocket. And she kept watching that and thinking, that's really cool. And so at one point, she had a really long ribbon that came out of one of the pockets. And she started adding pockets. And she added, and it got to like 40 or 50 pockets. And then during the reviewing the situation song, the kids are all clamoring around and they're pulling all these things out. And it was this wonderful scene of things coming out. That was, that was one of the really good parts. The other one was when I auditioned, there was another guy there. And he was obviously trying out for the part of Fagin. And I watched his audition and I was blown away. He was so good. I, I thought there is absolutely no way she's going to cast me. And then I get the call, you know, later in the week and she says, yeah, I'd like you to play the part of Fagin. And I said, that's absolutely great. But I wondered why. And so a couple weeks into the rehearsal, I went to her. I said, why would you cast me when you had the chance to cast Robert instead? And she said, well, I watched you before the audition and you were playing with the kids. You were having fun with them. You were teasing them and, and fooling around with them. Robert was all business. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a Fagin who could play with the kids. Mm. And so I went, oh, big lesson to learn. The director is watching you from the moment you walk in. Not just your audition. The whole thing is an audition. So since then, I have, I have made sure that when I audition, it starts the moment I am anywhere near the theater and finishes after I'm gone. That's so true. I've heard that before. In auditions, do you struggle with any kind of nerves? No, I love auditions. Really? What do you love about I couldn't care less whether I get a part or not. Because there's there will always be parts. You can always get a part. So any particular audition, I love going and watching the other actors and seeing the cool stuff that they do. Sometimes their heart is in the right place and they're awful and they're really fun to watch and really nice people. There's several actors who I think are not very good actors, but I would love to be in a show with them because they're such wonderful people and they try hard and they boost the morale of the cast and make it better that way. I mean, so it's absolutely wonderful. To me, that feels like that's a heart of community theater. It has a lot more to do with the people than, yeah. you know, like some super finished product. Yes, I think so. You go in an audition and you get to work with somebody and try out something. 
So, you know, it's funny. I feel like I've known you forever. I was trying to remember when we actually met. And Twice. Were you in 20th Century Follies? Because it's not. Nope. You were the not first in thing, that. First thing we were in together was Diary of a Scoundrel at Massacres. Okay. Yes. You played Mashenka. I played Galutvin. And then later on, you assistant stage managed the importance of being earnest in Alternia. Oh. That's um, right. Now, you, <laughs> I do not have a magic memory. What I do, do is, I must erase because I looked at that. And I'm like, didn't I do important? I'm like, I did a scene in an acting class, but I've never been in that show. So why do I think that it has some? So I sort of remembered. I keep track of it. So basically, I've got a really good Rolodex. This is this is getting back to the nerd part. Yeah, the theater geek we've talked about. Now, now it's back to the nerd part. I have a really good Rolodex of basically every time I'm in a show, I um, keep track of all the people, what they did, who they were, when they did it. That's why you can see on that website all the 27 or 74 or whatever number of shows I've been in. It's because I keep track of it there yeah. and make sure I have a picture of it. So I've got really good records. And so it's really easy for me to go look up Heather P. Morrison and see, <laughs> oh, okay, these were the two shows that we were in together. And now I'm remembering, was it Margaret Paradis? Yeah. Who's the stage manager? Yes. And I assisted her because I remember I did not sit up in that booth because I did run lights for your good man, Charlie Brown, with mixed results on that board. <laughs> it's an old board. And some of the buttons didn't always work. So a couple times I put Snoopy in the dark and I couldn't, I cut the, the sound cue ahead and I'm like trying to get it to go back. And that was amazing. <laughs> I love the Alterina. It's such a great theater. Oh, yeah. Do you recall um, the lights going out during one of the performances? I don't, but it, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I think it was you me? who handed me and the other actor a flashlights. These <laughs> lights were out and we had a little scene together, just two people. So we went to the, <laughs> we, we were out there. Yeah, we were out there sitting, facing each other because it's theater in the round. They can see everything. And the lights went out. And so I went off to the side of the theater. You gave me two flashlights. We brought the flashlights back, put it on our faces continued for a couple of minutes and then the lights came back on and the audience just absolutely adored it. Oh that was God, Rachel that... Brown, the actress. Oh, oh okay. So where is that the, the gar it's like the garden scene or oh I forget the name of that character. Gw Gwendolyn. Was yes. it Gwendolyn? Gwendolyn Fairfax. And I was oh. Algernon. I love backstage at that. I love the dressing rooms at the Altarina with the, the writing all over the walls and I, I love the entrances. I just love that theater. Oh yeah. Oh my God, what a great memory you have too. And I love all the pictures. That's wonderful. You can, you scroll down the links of the shows and your picture, a picture from the show of you pops up. It's, that's brilliant. I like that because there have been so many different hairstyles and makeup jobs and things like that. I've gone from nothing on my head whatsoever to all sorts of bizarre theatrical makeup. It's fun. That's actually what got me a little part in a miniseries. Ah, um, here he comes. Uh, yeah, this was for, uh, it turned out to be a six-hour miniseries called The World Wars. They wanted somebody to play Lenin, and it was, it was not a union job. They wanted specifically non-union people. So they basically scoured the internet and they found this guy who looks a lot like Lennon and there's a whole lot of pictures of him and it seems like he's been in a lot of shows and can act, so let's give him a call. So I did and then I did a Skype interview with them and they said, hey, this is great, let's do it. 
and uh, I got to play Lennon for three minutes out of a six-hour miniseries. So that was it. But it took 11 days of, I traveled to um, West Virginia. They shot for, and had me on set for 11 days. However, I only did anything whatsoever on the first day when I showed up and then the last day. The first day they played with the makeup, made sure I, the makeup was okay. And they said, okay, whenever we get to you, this is how we'll do the makeup. And then the last day they actually shot some scenes and that was it. Two, two days and I got paid for every one of the 11 days. And it was great. Wow. That's a great picture. I found it on YouTube where it's a history channel. It's called Trials by Fire Part 1. Is that what it is called? The World Wars Part 1 Trial by Fire. And it featured you as Vladimir Lenin opposite Jacopo Rabini. The people in the thing were real hardworking actors who make a living acting as opposed to me who is not making a living acting. That's why they only had me in there for three minutes. But the other ones are in soap operas and movies and all sorts of stuff. I, one day we went to pick up one of the guys in the bus. I mean, they have this little bus that takes us from the hotel where we're staying to set. We went and picked him up. I walked in and he was in there, but he was he was taking his time getting out. And I looked up at the TV and there he was on some soap opera. This same guy who we're picking up. And he was just so nonchalant about it. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. That was just a job. I didn't do it. I didn't really like doing that. And kept going. It's like, no, but that was the television. And it was a real oven. You were on it. He, he wasn't impressed with himself. I was impressed with him, but he wasn't impressed with himself. That's funny. What did you feel like you learned from being around professional actors? The most interesting thing I learned was actually the process of doing a movie is bizarrely different from the process of doing a play. There's a whole lot of waiting around doing the same exact thing in the exact same manner while they move the camera and say all right you, you've done it now do it exactly the same way make sure you you twitch right then the same way that you twitched when you last did it and you gotta you gotta hit the mark because the camera is so finely focused you gotta make sure you're exactly where you're supposed to be at the right time if you don't say stop okay do it again you didn't hit the mark and, and don't look down you know make sure you you know exactly where you're standing, but don't look at where you're standing. But um, the big one was, I don't know, it was this wonderful balcony scene. I'm standing right next to young Stalin. So Lenin and Stalin are there. And it's, it's a little windy. The camera is like 50 feet away down on the ground. The director is down near there with a bullhorn so he can talk to us. We're, we're mic'd up. And I'm talking to this guy who is standing shoulder to shoulder with me. And, and the director yells at me, he goes, Talk quieter! And so both of us had to lower oh our volumes because the mic is so sensitive. And we had to lower it to the point where neither of us could actually hear what the other was saying. We knew the couple of lines, it's a very short little scene, so you don't really have to worry, but kind of had to look at him and make sure that his lips had stopped moving. It's like, oh, must be a line on line now. <laughs> So as opposed to on stage, you got to be loud. You've got the people in the back row whose hearing aid is turned down. you got to make sure that they can hear you. And it is very different. He, he knew that. So the director, great director, he knew that and mentioned that. But it was even much more pronounced to the point where I couldn't hear the actor next to me talking. Yeah, we, <laughs> we managed to make our way through it. <laughs> That's really funny because I don't think I've ever heard a story where people are talking so low that they didn't know whether they should keep going or not. It's really funny. Seems like the they could have adjusted so the mic. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, if they, they know what they're doing. 
I, I'm I'm just an actor on the set. The mic people and the they're all professionals and know what they're doing. So you just say, okay, <laughs> you tell me what to do. I'll, I'll do it. Talk louder. Okay. <laughs> Did this director, was he used to working with inexperienced actors? I think he was used to working with anyone. I think he had a lot of experience doing miniseries and stuff like that and has, has all sorts of people. The only thing he got upset about wasn't with me. It was with some of the extras because it, it had to do with war, and so a bunch of the extras brought their own prop-like things, including weapons. And at one point, a weapon was accidentally discharged, and they basically just absolutely locked down everything. They instantly said, no weapons whatsoever. We're keeping them all. You may not carry them around. If it is necessary part of your character, we will stop, give you the weapon just before the camera gets to you, stop again, take it away from you and keep going. But the extras were wild, wonderful people who knew all sorts of facts. I mean, they're, one of them's going, yeah, no, my, my German officer uniform, I'm supposed to be you know, level four, but I actually only have three stripes here and I need, it should have been this and the color is more bronze than gold. And it's just not quite right. So they were, they knew so much. That was the biggest complaint about the entire miniseries is that it was inaccurate. And it was a History Channel thing or, or produced by the History Channel, funded by the History Channel. People's complaints are valid. It has a lot of fast and loose with the facts. I think I read something about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Did it make you want to go pro? The only thing about going pro that seems like fun would be a little bit of the fame that goes along with it. But I have imagined doing Broadway and thinking, wow, you know, it ceases to be a fun thing you're doing for your family and friends and neighbors and people in the community and is a job. And you just got to go there and you've got to do it six days a week or five days a week and you do it for months on end. I can't imagine doing that. So I don't think I would want to be professional. The only thing that makes it it makes me even think that I could would be the little bit of fame that would go along with it. And that's, yeah, I, I'm okay with the talent part that I require, but I think that it also requires a whole lot of luck. And yeah, I think just statistically, it isn't going to happen. So no, I'm, I'm much happier the way I am with doing the nerdy computer job that I have and doing the acting on the side. That makes sense. You have to think about the realities of it and it's very demanding and you have to do, you have to do it at a thousand percent because people are paying 200, 300, 400. They're spending a lot of money. Well, first thing that comes to mind is I'm sensing a Russian theme. So you played Lenin. I played Lenin. You played Lenin. Yes. And then, and then you were also in the Diary of a Scoundrel, which we did together. The loop then. I found a review by the Berkeley Planet. Yeah. And let's see, it says, see Conrad Katie as genial blackmailer Glutfin, a man without an occupation. And I, <laughs> and I was described as a gushing youthful Mashenka. But what's funny was I was 42. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like I started to get parts as an ingenue in my 40s, which just makes me laugh. Anyway, so did you do any other Russian, Russian parts? 
Russian parts? No, not that I can recall, but I have done a lot of um, English parts, but you know, as community theater actors, half the shows are English anyway. So I've done a whole bunch of those. Yeah, I can't think of any other Russian parts. Some German parts, Dr. Einstein in uh, Arsenic Noble Lace, French, played in Can Can, that was fun. Yep, Russian is, it's just those two. I think you've hit them both. And you know what's funny? I distinctly remember you telling me, and of course I could remember this incorrectly, is that you didn't like musicals and you didn't like to sing. But I looked at you like you were, you were in Oliver, you played Fagin. I saw that you sang. I saw I you sing. I think I misspoke. And what I meant to say <laughs> is that musicals are a whole lot more work. Mm. And I don't dance well. I, I actually, I, I take that back. I'm fine at dancing. It's just that I learned so slowly. My mom is a ballet teacher. And so I took ballet lessons as a kid, but I realized that it takes so long for me to figure out and remember dance steps. Yeah, I go into an audition and my key weapon is a smile because if they're paying attention to my dancing and not my smile, I've lost it already. <laughs> Uh, they'll they'll tell you, all right, all right, here's steps one to four. And I go, okay, great, steps one to four. Now here's steps five to eight. It's like, what do you mean? Okay, five to eight, I'll, I'll do that. Now do steps one to eight. It's like, no, I, I got rid of steps one to four out of my head in order to fit five to eight. You want me to do one to four again? Reteach those to me. I'll do them. Dancing is really hard. I actually took a lot of dance and I struggle with dance auditions too. I think that is one of those skills that comes by taking a lot of dance classes, like two to four dance classes a week. Being able to execute is one thing. Being able to remember choreography is another thing. I totally get that. My, my mom has taught me as a ballet teacher. She does recitals every year and I typically go and I'm like the narrator of the recital and I read one of her poems. She writes poems. So I read one of her poems in there. Um, but she tells the kids and I don't think they get it. You, you have to be a little older usually to get it. She says, if you screw up, pretend like you meant to do that and keep going. It's not, people won't notice a screw up. They'll notice you stop and flounder. If you, you don't think you've screwed up and don't know what to do, just keep going. Just, same thing with, you know, lines on a stage. In a stage play, you can't stop and say, oh, sorry, I screwed up the line. Wait, let me go back. You just got to keep smiling, figure out a way around it, keep going. Very unlike the movies where they stop you, everything stops, say, all right, start again. It's a metaphor for life, right? Just, just keep going and exactly. keep smiling. <laughs> When you decided to start doing acting, were you, did you take some classes? I did take some classes. It wasn't here, do this. It wasn't the, the nice nerdy, here's the steps you go through. It wasn't road. It wasn't tips and tricks and stuff like that. Was he teaching for stage or, or film or just, stage. just in general? For He was teaching for stage. Yeah. Okay. So I, I tried it for a little while and thought, no, I'm going to learn more by watching other people. Mm -hmm. and, and seeing how they do it and what their methods and processes and things that they do are. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly worked for you. You can cast a lot. You've won numerous awards. So what you're doing works. Thank you. I, I enjoy it. And if I can make other people happy, it makes me happy. <laughs> do you like comedy more than the dramatic roles? 
seems like you do more. They're both wonderful. No, I wouldn't say I like it more. Mm -hmm. I, it, if I'm in a show, that's the one I like the most. But comedy is, I'm lucky in that I think I get the timing. They tell you comedy timing is everything, and they're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. There's, you, can, you can pause a fraction of a second, and it's completely different than if you don't pause or you pause too long. And it's, it's subtle, and it has to do with the way people's brains work, because they will hear those short stops, and they'll interpret it as something that you feel. So in comedy, that timing, and I don't know how to teach it, and I don't know how to express it very well, but it's so definitely there. You can sometimes hear comedians and hear them doing the same show in two different ways, the exact same words, just very, very subtle differences in their timing. And one of them is hilarious and the other one is all absolutely flat. But then when you go to the dramatic roles, one of the most fun things is playing somebody who you will just feel completely different than playing the evil guy when you know that you're a wonderful person, right? And I, I have enjoyed doing that because it's, it's cathartic. It's like, it's like um, going to therapy when you get to go out there and shove somebody off a balcony <laughs> during the show, <laughs> laugh as they fall to their death. I mean, that, that sort of thing is just, it's, it's wonderful. And at the end of the show, somebody will come up to you and go, are you really like that? It's like, uh, no, no, I'm really not. <laughs> Did you really have a character that pushed somebody over a banister? <laughs> uh, actually, it was, I, it was me who got pushed over. It was in Communicating Doors, and I played Julian, the bad guy, and got shoved out a window, died that way. That's but it, it's just, I got to, there was one line, I get to say something, oh no, another actress would say to me, you smothered your mother? Julian had done that. He talked about smothering his mother. And then is that when she pushes you out? <laughs> not, not quite then. I took my mom to, the, to that show. It was fun because I told her exactly where to sit. And it was an Altarina. And uh, so it's just theater in the round. And there's, I knew exactly where I would be during that scene. And I got her a seat right there <laughs> where I'm talking about smothering my mother. <laughs> she was right there. And she loved it. It was so much fun. Oh, that's funny. She sounds like she was really supportive. I think you must have a supportive family to do as much theater as you do. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, they really enjoy it. And I think it's good for our family in the sense that we're geographically spread around. But whenever I do a show, a whole bunch of people come in from out of town and get together and meet and go out. And so it, it <laughs> until the COVID-19 thing, uh, it was very valuable in getting us together. Now we get together on Zoom. Thank goodness for communicating through technology. So the last thing that I saw that you did, at least that you updated online, was Cabaret, Harris Schultz. Yes. Is that right? Did you, and I watched part of the pineapple song, which is, what is the significance of the pineapple? I can't, I mean, it would have been strange. How could you get a pineapple in Germany during the war? Um, That's exactly why, is because it was so exotic and expensive and difficult to get that giving a pineapple was a big deal. And so that's what's, what's amusing to uh, audiences now is that this thing that you can get in any grocery store now with no problems 
is treated with such reverence in the show. And it's because it was. And that's, that's part of what makes it amusing. That's really funny. During, during the show, we had a, um, some plastic pineapple. And I thought, this is, this is no good. I want a real big, lumpy, hard to deal with pineapple on stage. So I bought two pineapples during the run of the show and used them both. And uh, it was, it turned out to be so much better than a you know, half-sized plastic pineapple that if we dropped it, it'd go <laughs> across the stage and sound awful. I think it's important. I've had some terrible props, but I think a, what's interesting is that paper bag, because I looked at the paper bag and it looked anachronistic to me, but she pulls out a real pineapple and I go, yeah, that's a real pineapple. It really helps. <laughs> I think it really helps ground the acting, what you're doing, is to have as much real stuff as possible. I agree. I, I think that props are very important. A lot of props, if they are personal props, I try to personalize, you know, add little things to. Um, I've been in a show, I played a detective that I'm showing somebody else, you know, pictures of someone and I'll go and get either if it's an amusing show, funny pictures. So they, they look at them and, and try not to laugh on stage. I, I warn them beforehand, before the show, but don't tell them what the picture is going to be so that they're, they're excited to see what it is this time. Or um, in dramatic things to get real pictures of real people as opposed to just some fake picture. And yeah. it doesn't work the other way around. You don't want to do something funny in a drama. You don't want the other person trying not to laugh when they shouldn't be laughing. Yeah. There are disasters on stage. That's always... For example, um, we did The Secret Garden. And at the end of The Secret Garden, there's this big reveal of the garden. So um, what happens is the, the curtain is closed. It comes down. The stage manager, stage crew, it sort of sets up this wonderful thing with trees in the garden and things like that. And then the music swells and the curtain comes up. And as the curtain is coming up, it catches on one of the trees and the tree starts getting yanked up in the air and up and up and up and up. And now there's this tree hanging off the curtain that's been fully raised. It's just hanging there. And so the cast comes out, starts singing and dancing and then uh, like 30 seconds later, the tree crashes onto the stage. <laughs> oh my God. Was it a it was, real it was, tree? It was a fairly light tree. It was, yeah, that's, that's why it was like, it was made of you know, foam board or something like that. But it, was, it was just amusing. I would have loved to have been in the audience and watched this thing. And I, I imagine nobody was looking at any of the actors for that 30 seconds. They were all staring directly at the tree. Oh my gosh, that's really funny. Um, I did a show, uh, The Sunshine Boys. They played the nephew and my uncle, the, the funny guy. He had cigars. And so I, I bought some cigars and I unfortunately bought them with little glass tubing, glass cases. And at one point during one of the shows, he dropped it, right? Mm. And there's glass all over the stage. But once again, you're, you're in character. So, and this was a kitchen or whatever, and there was a little broom around. So I just went, I, you know, said, why did drop it? Dad, God, and picked up the thing. And we continued with the scene and I'm sweeping things up. And it was, it, it actually made that version of the scene significantly better because now you're not worried about the acting. You're really worried about just talking to the person and cleaning up stuff. It's, it's, it was much more organic and real. Mm -hmm. So uh, disasters can, can help out a little. It was a great disaster, but 
It's kind of my favorite part when I'm not a disaster, but when I'm watching a theater production, I'm like going, okay, I want something to happen that's not planned because it's fresh and you become so engaged. It's not so much fun when you're the one causing it. Yeah, there was one time I did, I did, I was playing Fagin and I'm singing this great song and, and it turns out wonderfully and just absolutely brilliant that the orchestra plays and I'm running around and I almost killed myself. I, I was, there was this wonderful banister-like thing and I had to go from the top of the, to the bottom and I, you know, fell, tripped, but I managed to grab the thing and it looked I mean, the audience gasped and yet looked like I knew exactly what I was doing. But I, I came off stage and the um, other actors looked at me like, oh, my God, Conrad. But what? What? He goes, you, you, didn't, you didn't realize what you did? Like, uh, no. What? It turned out it had nothing to do with that. I had skipped from halfway through one of the verses to the chorus. I had completely just just absolutely skipped it. I didn't notice that I had done that. The music director was so capable, Cesar Cancino, who was just amazing. He took a 12-piece orchestra and had them follow me. He, he just, he absolutely did it to the point where I sang the song and I didn't know I did it. <laughs> so, so the audience could have absolutely no clue that something was wrong. Wow. And yet he just, he, he absolutely saved my butt. What's completely. There was another time uh, I had a, a dance with a, with a woman in uh, Can Can and it was very choreographed. And uh, so the words that I'm singing go along with uh, the actions in the dance. And I started singing the wrong verse. Oops and you can't stop it doesn't it's not like you can go back and unrhyme and and fork it up so basically i just sang the wrong thing and the, the lady i'm dancing with was, was hilarious because she was just looking at me like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she couldn't she, there was nothing she could do nothing i could do so that's the case where you smile your way through it and i don't think the audience caught on other than people who'd seen the show before or done the part before. But it was, there were two people on stage looking at each other, doing a scene, dancing, knowing this is not working right. This is what we were supposed to be doing, but oh well, let's keep going. Yeah, there's nothing like a train wreck on stage and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> how are we going to get out of this? The worst ones are where somebody mixes up like an act in the, a scene in the first act and the scene in the second act. Oh, I've never actually had one of those, but that's terrible if somebody starts doing something from the next uh, act because it starts, it gives away things or makes absolutely no sense to the audience. Something close that I did was in uh, uh, Death Trap. There's a scene where there's like five people in a line, which they tell you never, never have a line on stage, but this was very intentional. It's five people in a line and they each say something and there's a telephone at the end of the line and it's supposed to ring. That's, that's the, the end of the scene, the ringing of the telephone and somebody picks it up and something wonderful happens and it doesn't ring. There's five people in a line staring at this phone at the end of the line and it's not ringing. 
And so uh, Lindy Press, yes. Bauman Press, uh, who plays this completely deaf character. I mean, that's the whole running joke in the show is that she can't hear anything that goes on. She pipes up and she goes, can't you people hear that? She picks up the phone and answers it. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely That's, worked. It, it saved the scene. It was wow. just wonderful. That was some fast thinking. I got to play with her. That was her last show. Mm. Um, uh, in uh, I got to play in Death Trap with her. Uh, very last show. The very last scene of the show is her and me. And uh, we, that night, the final night of the show, we recorded it, so it's actually oh. on video, and she died three weeks later. Oh. And so I just feel so lucky to have been on stage with her. It was recorded, her very last performance of anything ever. Wow. And that's, it's wonderful. She was great. Oh. She yeah. made me really happy once. She was directing Oklahoma. And I went there, and I'm not the leading man type role, and I'm not the Judd Fry type role. I'm the Allie Hackam role, which she did eventually cast me for. But during this thing, she, she said, hey, Conrad, why don't you read for Judd? And I'm this little five foot five, you know, kind of skinny guy. And I'm going, really? But I was so thrilled that she would actually consider bending the rules and said she saw a possibility of a character that I had not seen in myself. And so the fact that she asked me to read that part and was happy with how I read, she found somebody better, but she asked me to do that was, was just thrilling. And that helped me a lot to expand the stuff that I could do, or at least my willingness to do stuff that was beyond what I thought I could do. Mm -hmm. So she Isn't helped that out amazing? a lot. That, yes. That's the vision of a director, right? Um, believing in believing in somebody, seeing something in you that you don't see. Because now that you've brought it up, because it doesn't generally jive with how I look at you, I'm like, you could be scary as Judd. I could see it. I don't know. I don't know whether you can sing that that song. It's a really you know low part, but. You could be scary and it would be really interesting casting. I, I think it would have been a good show. I think the show that she did put on was probably better, but I think it still would have been good. Yeah, I, I would have I would have done well. <laughs> I would have come out to see you play Jed. Yeah, I'd be like, woo, that's interesting casting. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a little bit of that uh, on YouTube and that was, I like, yeah, very, very cute Allie Hackam. Hackam Hokum. What, what's his last Hackam. name? Hackam. Allie Hackam. Hackam. It should have been Hokum, but uh, you know, he's basically a snake oil thing, <laughs> yeah. right? So, <laughs> it's funny. I have never been in Oklahoma, but I have done a couple shows twice. I've done Oliver twice. I played The Undertaker's Daughter when I was a kid, and then when I was an adult, I played The Undertaker's Wife. Do you see a theme? <laughs> Sourberries. The sourberries. And then also uh, Once Upon a Mattress twice. Cool. And I think they cast me in the same damn part. I did a show twice. I played in uh, at Douglas Morrison, the, um, the Woman in Black. And it's a two-person show. 
So it's there's it's a heavy line load. And there's one character who is plays one single character, and then one character who plays a lot of different parts. So there's an old guy and a young guy part. So I was I played the old guy because um you know, fifty something, fifty-five at the moment. And then uh, some nice 20, 25 year old guy did a great job, played the other part. And so I had never done a part twice. And in Half Moon Bay, there's a theater that was doing that. And I said, oh, you know what? I want to see what it's like playing the same part another time. So I went out for the auditions and uh, the auditions were great. And, you know, <laughs> that night the guy said, this is, this is great. I think I found who I want. Are you willing to take the part? And I said, sure, sounds great. And he goes, no, no, I, I don't mean that you're playing the old guy. You're playing the young guy. <laughs> like, oh, really? Oh, okay, sure. So I, I then got the young guy part, and then the old guy part was played by a 70-year-old guy. <laughs> wow. And uh, it, it was really fun. Both of those shows were brilliant. They both realized that in that show – the way to scare an audience is to just keep it really, really dark. It, and it absolutely works. It was, they were both brilliant. Um, I mean, literally, literally dark so that you can pop things up and have people appear or have things appear on stage. I mean, how do you scare somebody who's sitting in a big group of other people in the middle of a room? right? They, they know they shouldn't be scared. You can appeal to their emotions. And it, it was scary. And we did it actually on a Halloween night. That was, that was kind of fun. But what that means is that because I've played both parts, I have an entire play memorized. <laughs> so I know all the lines of the entire play. Or to be more precise, I, I don't know all the lines because I missed many of them many of the times, but got close enough. God, that's hilarious. Do you have any other stories about things going wrong on stage? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest gaffe that you can remember making? So I think the biggest problems are just getting lost. The poorest decision I ever made was, it was a very small piece, but it was a bad decision. During the run of the show, I was playing this, this guy with big old glasses and, and a obnoxious, crusty guy, and I had to shake somebody's hand. So he puts out his hand, and I you know, had been looking carefully at it. Do I really want to shake the guy's hand and meekly go and shake it a little bit? And then one night I decided, I want to, I want to turn this around. I want to see what happens. And instead of doing any of that, I just grabbed his hand and shook it up and down and... The other actor, Kip Wixen, was absolutely fine with it. He, he didn't care what I did or not. But it turned out it was just a bad decision. It didn't make any sense. It was, had nothing to do with lines. It was just how we were acting. And I wanted to see what would happen if I switched things up. And it was a bad choice of things to switch up. <laughs> you see how much you remember from the things that you don't do quite well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that sense of play, I mean, to me, I always think of you as being a really playful person, and that goes a long way to acting, getting roles. Oh, yeah, it helps. You, you have to be out there. You have to, you don't have to be, but it helps a whole lot to be able to 
try out different things. A director who's, who's in there trying to figure out what their show is about, if they've got somebody who's meek and just doing what they say during the auditions, they don't get any ideas. If you give them ideas, if you give them playful acting, you give them choices, try to make, try to, if you're gonna read a scene twice, try to do it as differently as you possibly can just to, so that they can see, oh, I, I, I didn't realize that person could do it that way, or I didn't realize the part could be done that way, or that was a crappy decision, but the person's willing to, willing to put themselves out there, so good, that's what I need. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you're talking about that. Uh, have you thought about or have you ever done any directing? That sounds like a horrible thing. I cannot imagine a worse thing to go through and try to herd these obnoxious cats and get pretty much no respect out of the end of the thing. No, I, I like being the person executing on a particular thing, not being in charge. I have inordinate amount of respect for directors because what I want to do is I want to make sure that their vision gets executed within whatever parameters they tell me. If they tell me I want you to play because my vision is to have you figure something out, great, I'll, I'll do it. But they're the ones painting this picture and I want, so if you think about it from an actor's point of view, the client I don't think is the audience. If a director says, here's the picture I want to present, and the actor says, well, no, I don't want to do, I want to make the audience happy. It's like, no, the, the point of doing the show is to build the thing that the director is asking you to build. If they say, I want you to please the audience and they, I mean, if they're, if they're okay with it, great. Yeah, go with it. But if you have to choose between doing something you think is not the right choice because the audience doesn't like it and doing something that you think is not the right choice because the director does it, you go with the director. Director is the one who can see it. And there are many times when I have thought to myself, oh, it would probably be better this way. And then realized after trying it a couple times during rehearsals that no, the director is, is right. Doesn't mean the director can be <laughs> right all the time. There are some, some situations where the director has been badly wrong on a few details, but uh, in general, that's, I believe the director's the one in charge and I'm gonna do exactly what they say and do it the way they want. I think I often thought more about the audience and I sometimes had trouble with the idea of what the director was asking me, but maybe because I lacked the vision, sometimes you can't see their vision and that's what you're talking about. They have the vision, you're trying to fulfill that vision with what you do. Yep. Yeah. Since this is Geeks in the Green Room, do you have any favorite green room stories? I, I'm thinking very broadly because I know, I don't think I've ever been in a green room that was green. And I've been in theaters that had no green room, but you know, the idea of backstage stories and that kind of thing. Do I have any good green rooms? I enjoyed hanging out in green rooms. No, that's, that's, I think for me, the green room is the reason for doing acting, at least the, the social, it's the benefit I get out of it. Doing a show on stage is really fun and rewarding, but I'm always looking to the end of the show, going out with people, interacting with them, talking about 
what happened on stage and what went right and what went wrong. And, and so the, the acting is merely the, the work of art that we then get to discuss and have fun with. So during the show in the green room, that's, it's that interaction that's the, the real payoff for me. Mm -hmm. My goal in doing the show, what I'd like everyone to come out with is, gee, I want to do another show with Conrad. Not, gee, Conrad was a really good actor and made great decisions and we made a wonderful show. I would rather somebody say, hey, you know what, it wasn't a great show, but I so much enjoyed being with you. Let's hire you for another show. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's a little selfish, but I think in the long run, it turns out pretty good shows because if you make everyone happy, it's a good show. One right. of the things that I don't appreciate from actors is accepting a part and then backing out. Mm -hmm. I go to an audition and I, I will make the decision then and there that if I get cast, I will do the part, mm -hmm. right? So the only time I've ever been offered a part and then actually turned it down was because the audition itself was really awful and disorganized, but I've never been offered a part and then said, no, don't. I, I backed out afterward, mm -hmm. after accepting it. I did, I backed out of a part. <laughs> you didn't have good reason. It has to be very good reason. The, good re the reason was it was a biblical kind of thing and I'm Jewish and I was like, I don't think I really got to I'm not going to have fun doing this show. A I don't, New testament it, thing. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was not, it just, I always go because I'm curious, but yeah, it was not going to be a good match. But I have actually gotten, I've gotten cast for a couple shows that were canceled. Yeah. And, and that was, I, I got cast for Blythe Spirit as Ruth, and that show was canceled. And, Where was that? Uh, in Orinda. They have an outdoor theater. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. I love Life Spirit. When I was a kid, you've have you seen the movie? Please tell me you've seen it. I have not seen the movie, <gasps> no. Oh my god. It is a wonderful movie with, with Rex Harrison and his wife has died and comes back and haunts him and his new yeah. wife. It's very funny. And they have a they have a seance. So when I was a kid, I I fell in love with that movie. I made an audio cassette recording of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's I, I, I don't know how I did it. It must have been on and I grabbed my tape recorder and I just recorded it because it was like theater, you know, like radio theater. Listening yeah. Anyway. I, All right. I I'm, I'm going to go get that and watch that. I've been cast in a show where um, they changed the show. Oh, that's um, weird. Like they cast you and then they change it and then they cast you like in yeah. a role. And then, that's funny. Betty Baker Bindner was was casting for some, I don't even remember what show it was, out at, um, in Pittsburgh. And so she cast me, and then it turned out that they couldn't do that show, and so they changed it to The Mousetrap and said, yeah, you're already been cast. You're, you, we'd like you to play this part in Mousetrap. It's like, okay, sounds okay. great. That's a great show, Agatha Christie. You, you can't oh, go so wrong with fun. an Agatha Christie. I would, I've never done one. I would really? love to do one. Oh, I've done yeah. several, and they are definitely fun. I'm always cast as the bearded guy. What is the detective one? It's, oh, Inspecting Carol. Oh, that was so much. That was great. There were several brilliant technical things that happened. Yeah, I, I remember Robert Love having a bowl of punch, and he gets frightened and, and takes this bowl of punch and just throws it all over the stage brilliantly. Oh. And it, it's seeing this arc of punch across the stage was 
incredible. It's a great visual. I remember it being funny. Isn't isn't it like it's a theater company doing a show, and they think that this guy coming is going to review it, and he's not. The guy who shows up is not a reviewer. He's something else, but I can't remember. He's an actor. That was me. I played that part, and and it was so much fun. Um, he, they think that he's a a guy who's going to give them a grant, oh, and he turns out he's an actor. So they're sucking up to him, and he's an awful actor absolutely abysmal so there is a um he does an audition in the show for them using the richard the third the famous richard the third speech from and he does this abysmal job way over the top and terrible and at the end of it they just clap and laugh and say that was <laughs> wonderful so i actually used that as an audition at berkeley rep and got cast in an understudy part at berkeley rep Using, using the thing from Inspecting Carol. Uh, the thing at Berkeley Rep was Cloud Nine. Oh. And it was, it was fun. And I've now got a, a crush on some of the, the principals, the actual actors who are in it. But typically, an understudy cast does not go on stage. Right. However, of the four actors in this show, two of them actually had situations where they couldn't go on, and the understudies went on. And the understudy cast, great. In fact, the assistant director who dealt with the understudy cast and directed us, so we, we learned the show, obviously, just exactly the same way, said that we were the best one she'd ever had, best understudy cast. She was so impressed. The other three actors in it were and have been doing stuff, community theater around the Bay Area for forever, and are really good actors. So I was impressed and happy. But the fact that two of us got to go on stage was really cool. That's really interesting. I didn't know that they cast non-AEA actors. They, I, that was the only time I ever got AEA credits. So I actually was, I, I got some credit. I did have a bucket list role, and that was in Noises Off. I really wanted to do Noises Off. And I got the chance to do Noises Off with an incredible cast. I played the John Ritter part, and I got to fall downstairs. And we had a really good fight choreographer who taught me exactly what to do and how to do it. And I wasn't quite the best student. So, oh, no. So um, <laughs> there were, I got so suited up before that scene. I had a girdle-like thing protecting my back and, and elbow pads and knee pads and stuff like that. But I still managed each night to do something wrong, which it's, it's not what you want to do. It's not good community theater, but it turned out a brilliant performance because every night I would go flying down those stairs. The audience would gasp. Yeah. Like, like, oh my God, was that intentional? That, that didn't, I, I realize he's supposed to fall down the stairs, but he really fell down the stairs that time. Oh my God. But um, that's the closest I ever came to becoming uh, hooked on opioids. And it lent Ow. some interesting <laughs> aspects because if you're not fully with it on stage, things can go wrong. Nothing went badly wrong. There were some times when it was a little odd, and, but it ended up being a brilliant show and people loved it. So I, I managed to get a bucket list show. I can't think of a role now. I should, I should add a new one on there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I, I did manage to do my, my bucket list role. 
That's awesome. I didn't ask you if you had any major prop fails. I, in a show that I was not in, it was, this is, this is the most brilliant thing. I love this. I was watching at Chanticleer's for whatever reason, the actress is supposed to have a gun and it isn't there. And so there's some scuttlebutt about trying to go find the gun or whatever, and it, it doesn't happen. And so I just, I absolutely adored this. She, she went up to him and she put her finger out in the shape of a gun. <laughs> and the, the actor who is going to get shot is, is kind of muttering under his breath, no, no, no. No, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. And she goes, bang. <laughs> and he falls over dead and then see, continue, whatever. But I, as an actor, absolutely love that. I am so thrilled that that happened. Yeah, I love that. I mean, whether it's the appropriate thing to do. No, the reason it's so great and wonderful is it was not the appropriate thing to do. And yet it happened. And so I absolutely adore that. I think that's what... See, now, I think that could totally have worked if the other actor, the one who was muttering no, like they could have turned it into something else. And it could have been super powerful because she could have said, if this was a gun, you would have been dead. You know, or I mean, it's hard to think on your feet, but she could have said bang and he... They could have wrestled or, I mean, there's so many things you, that would be an amazing scene. I would remember it, that. It would, but, but then you wouldn't have, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about it now. <laughs> That's true. And you could always think when you're, when you're not on yeah. stage. She could have grabbed a pan and hit him over the head with a pan. I mean, oh, that would be good. Or, you know. Yeah. Trouble with an object, yeah. like take there's, it to the extreme. There are, there would have been ways around it, but I, I do yeah. love, you know what? That's a good with story. it. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> I love the actor going, no, nope, no, nope, no, 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 nope. <laughs> nope, <laughs> no, no, nope. <laughs> that's one of the funny stories. Thank you, Conrad Katie, for coming on Geeks in the Green Room. Thank you so much for, for letting me do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, it's been so much fun. It's so great to see you. It's, it's so wonderful. I know you have lots of stories. So if you think of anything else that you want to include, go ahead and send it Thanks for sharing your time with us today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we had making it. Check out the show notes for info and links mentioned in this episode. Share the love by giving us an awesome review and rating on Apple Podcasts. And please pass the link to this show to your friends and family. And remember to subscribe here or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want to get into the act, like the Geeks in the Green Room Facebook page. Post a video telling us your favorite Green Room story. Leave a kind comment and let us know who you'd love to see on the show, including yourself. I'm your host, Heather Morrison. See you next time on Geeks in the Green Room 